0: Good morning, Outlook family. Sure, it's good to see everyone this morning. Hey, did anyone do some stuff yesterday that you're paying for today? <laughs> like, are you just feeling it? I don't know. I know I am. I, I watched some, some of you walking in. Everyone's walking in a little, a little more like, wow, I'm using, I used some muscles I hadn't used since maybe like September, October, right? I've been in parts of my yard yesterday I hadn't even seen for, you know, like who knows how long it feels like. Well, it is a beautiful weekend, isn't it? And I feel like God knew what he was doing when he made sunshine, right? Uh, man, it's just a—it's like, it's like having a whole new lease on life when the weather is nice after the kind of spring that we've had, and it's a blessing, isn't it? It really is. And uh, how's this for a segue? New life is what we're talking about here in our message this morning. See how I did that? I know. I know. Years of seminary taught me that very thing right there. Well, we are talking about new life and we're talking about as we move from Easter to now, these Sundays afterward, we're looking at and unpacking what it means to say yes to Jesus. Whether you've said yes to him many, many times and, and, and you've been living with him or this whole Jesus thing is something that you're just checking out. We're glad you're here. If you're with us online, we're also glad that you're with us, and uh, would just encourage you to say hey to your host, introduce yourself. We'd like to know you if you're ready for that to happen, we'd like to get to know you a little bit better. So as we move into this series, Jesus has died for our sins and risen from the grave. Amen? And in John chapter 20, where I want to open this morning, some of Jesus' followers have seen him alive, and they're overjoyed. But one guy is a little late to the party. His name is Thomas. And we pick this up in verse 24. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, "Mm, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I'm not going to believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, "'Peace be with you.' Then he said to Thomas, "'Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand, put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe.' Thomas said to him, "'My Lord and my God.' And then Jesus told him, "'Because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those,' now he's talking about you and me, "'blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed.'" Let's pray together. God, as we open up your word this morning, we're going to say in a prayer what we've already sung in prayer. Here's our heart. Speak what is true. Here we are, Lord. We give ourselves. We present ourselves. We just ask, God, that you would be with us. And Lord, certainly I ask, as we open up your word this morning, that Holy Spirit, you would be our teacher, you would be our translator, that you would plant the seed, as Jason said earlier, into our hearts and find good soil there, and that we would create a safe and welcoming warm space, Lord, for that seed to grow. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Thomas has a stubborn heart and a closed mind. Can anyone relate? Right? You ever been there? I think we all can find ourselves, a little bit of ourselves in there at least. And like I said earlier, if you're checking out this Jesus thing, if you feel like, yeah, I really like this Thomas guy, I'm a lot like him. That's cool. You're in, the, you're in a good space to explore that truth with us this morning. Because Thomas, man, he's drawn some pretty hard lines. So needful is Thomas of proof that he can see and touch. So limited is Thomas by the confines of his own mind that he declares he's not going to believe without physical evidence. And you feel for him, right? As the disciples must have when they heard him make this claim because he is risking foregoing the greatest news in the world just because he wasn't there. And so I'm inviting you to at least open yourselves up to the possibility that you will not forgo what many of us have found to be the greatest news in the world. Just because we weren't there doesn't mean it's not true. Let's pause for a moment and appreciate the fact that Jesus meets us where we are. He gave Thomas what he needed to believe. He met Thomas where he was. You may be doubtful, too, and you may see yourself in him. That's okay. Jesus can handle it. We're stepping into the realm, as we open up God's word each week, as we gather for worship, we're stepping into the realm of the spiritual, the realm of faith, which can sometimes get a bad rap. The idea of faith is somehow the idea that you might check your brain in at the door or that faith is about denial of knowledge and facts, when instead what we've come to discover is that faith is not less truth, but new truth, deeper truth, actually, new facts to uh, to consider in our lives. So I'm here today to talk about just how different and, yes, even better life is when we say yes to Jesus, this new life that the resurrection makes possible and that we experience when we say yes to Jesus. And I don't mean better on the outside, circumstantially. In fact, many times that is not necessarily the case. I mean on the inside where it counts, right, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. And so as we begin and move into this series, we're going to look first today at the new heart and the true mind that we begin to receive as we begin to walk with Jesus. We're going to talk about four things every single person listening to me today needs. And you don't need it just someday, you need it today. And so do I. Those four things are a new love that my affections are reordered, a new joy, my appetites are reinvigorated and set in a new direction, a new peace, my circumstances are reinterpreted in a new wisdom, my decisions are recalibrated. All of this, man, it's a lot, I know, but all of this begins to come to us, new heart, new mind, as we accept new life in Jesus. And I guarantee you, if you take to heart even a tenth of what I'm about to share from God's word, really take it to heart. Your life will never be the same. Are you ready to begin? I know I am, so let's go. First, let's talk about new love. New love. My affections are reordered. What I love begins to change. What I adore and worship, what I set as a priority, what deserves my attention, all these things begin to change. What my heart longs for and goes after begins to be reordered. In Colossians chapter 3, it says, since then you have been raised with Christ. That's an Easter message right there. Christ is raised. We put our faith in him. We're raised with him. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. What we love, who we love, how we love, the objects of our affections all these things begin to get reordered and realigned, Because what we love is what we end up uniting with. What we love is what we identify with. What we love becomes part of us. And so what deserves my affection and my attention, so to speak, out there, you know, among all the things that might be vying for it, those things get reordered. In fact, the totality of what you might call religion in the best sense of the word begins with and can be defined by where we set our hearts. Paul is telling the Colossians and now us, set your hearts on things above. Set your heart where Christ is, at a higher plane. Follow him and let your heart follow him. Let your loves, let your affections follow him. All of that begins and can be defined by where we set our hearts, who and what we love. And that's not just religion, that's our whole lives. That's how human life works. For every human, whether Jesus is in the picture or not, what we love ends up becoming how we order our lives. That's how humans work. Christ gives us the right order, the right alignment, a healthy set of loves that only then breathe life back in to us. See, indeed, what God gives us is love. We even read that God is love. So love is the first and foremost in this whole equation. And then it's what comes from us. And so when this precious love that we have this capacity to share and to spend, when that love, those affections are spread out and divided when I spend my love on things that are not of God, that aren't doing me any good, that are, that are, that are just a uh, uh, base and uh, end up taking up a lot of sideways energy for me, when I spend my love on things out of order, that is the essence of unfaithfulness to God. It comes to all down to who and what I choose to love. In 1 John, we read it in just this way. Don't love the world nor the things it offers you, John writes. For when you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. Now, what's he mean? Real quick, he doesn't mean the people of the world as if there are people that we're not allowed to love or that we shouldn't love. No, we should love all people. He's talking about the world in its way of thinking, uh, uh, the world as in godless society, making up its own rules, doing things Without God, there are lots of things out there in the world that want to vie for our affections, tether our hearts to whatever it might be that's out there and capture our attention and draw us in all kinds of different directions. And when we start spending our love out there, spread across any number of pointless things in the end out there in the world, success, money, on and on and on, all kinds, image, you name it, then we come up woefully Empty. He says, don't, don't spend your love in that way. For the world offers only, he says, a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, he says, but from the world. The Father is a giver of good gifts, we read in the Scriptures. But the world, man, a lot of counter, counterfeit junk is what we get there. This world is fading away, John concludes, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. That's where you find real fulfillment. So see, what we love, this new heart and the new love that comes along with it, is the mainspring of our lives. It's the engine under the hood of our living. And many things can compete for that love. A new heart means a rightly aligned love. And it begins with God, and then it flows from there, So that's, that's the first thing that we, we, we receive in this new life, this new heart. It's new love, new affections. What I love has changed. But there's more than that. There's also new joy. The appetites, the desires of my heart are now reinvigorated. Let me explain. We just read about cravings a minute ago. John was talking about the cravings of this world, the drives, the things that might um, send us in certain directions in our lives. What we see here is that a new heart replaces those with better desires, better cravings, better appetites. What I want has changed. In fact, when I'm sitting down with folks as I've sat down with so many of you over the years, so much of what it means to live life in Jesus is to have our wanter renewed, right? All, the, the main thing uh, about living is what do I want? What, what, is, what are my wants? And those wants will drive me the main thing when you say yes to Jesus is what happens is your wanter starts to get recalibrated and even replaced. I want new things. I want his will, not mine, right? I want to learn how to love. I want to learn how to forgive. I don't want to hold grudges or relive my regrets anymore. My wants actually begin to change. And when that happens, then you just start doing what you now want. It's pretty easy to do what you want, right? Just get new wants, And then obedience will follow. Psalm 37 says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That verse is speaking of exactly this alignment. The desires of my heart begin to change. They're reinvigorated in a new and better uh, direction. In fact, I would argue the original direction that we are all designed to be. And that is a, a direction that wants what God wants for us. He's our creator. He loves us more than anyone else ever could. So what he wants, I begin to want. The desires of my heart are changed. And so as I delight in him, I will find that he keeps giving me the desires of my heart because they are now new and aligned with him. And then this really great kind of positive feedback loop begins to happen because what I want, he wants to give and what he wants to give is what I want. So this is really working out, right? When we find our greatest joy and delight in God, our hearts are aligned and fulfilled. We're desiring right and good things which God delights to give us. Old appetites are let go. We don't want what we used to want. We're not drawn by what used to draw us. Our satisfaction, our fulfillment is found in new and better places, new and better purposes. Now, let me also just say here, for everyone who's listening, you don't need to wait to gain this insight. This isn't something, you don't have to accumulate a lot of bad choices before you begin making good choices. You can live according to what we're talking about right here today. And no matter your age, in fact, students who are listening to me today, Middle school, high school students, college students, you name it. You might think, oh, this is something I'll get around to when I'm an adult, but right now, you know, hey, the cost is low and the fun factor is high. So I can do, I'll just kind of figure out all this later and do whatever I want right now. You can begin instead to build your life according to the joy and the satisfaction in that is found only in the way of Jesus. That you can begin taking steps even today to build your life according to his love, joy, peace, and wisdom. That these are things every single one of us eventually discovers we need, and we need them badly. You can begin living according to those very things right now, today. There is no better way than the way of Jesus. Amen? So we have a new appetite and what I called a reinvigorated one. See, we're all, we all have desires and we might fall for the idea that those desires are bad. In fact, a lot of religion is all about trying to tell you that your desires are bad. We desire intimacy, or we desire purpose, or we desire justice, or we desire meaning, or we desire excitement. Those desires are actually right on and good, but we end up settling for the weak and watered-down forms of those things that the world offers us, all the counterfeit junk, when the real versions of all of these things are found in life in Christ. That alone is an insight worth carrying into our day, our week, our life. C.S. Lewis once famously wrote in his book, Mere Christianity, if I find a desire in myself, which no experience in this world can fully satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was designed for another world, that there's more to me than what might meet the eye, that God might just be real. And that this life that we're talking about is not something that's theoretical or pie in the sky or some kind of ideal that only a few people might uh, aspire to believe in. But it is real and solid and true that you were designed to live the very life that I'm talking about. Love and joy and peace and wisdom. Doesn't that sound good? Who could use some of that? I know I could today. Consider this very insightful description of our human condition. In James chapter four, in this regard of our desires and our appetites, he writes, "What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. Maybe not literally, maybe in your thoughts or your words. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. What causes?" He asks, "Fights and quarrels among you? I might even add, within you. Anyone ever feel like you've got a fight and a quarrel?" Within you. Paul, uh, James goes on, you do not have because you do not ask God. Now here we go. Here's the realignment of our desires by asking God first for what He wants for us. He says, You don't have what you want because you're not asking from the right source. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. You're not quite there that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. In other words, your appetites need redeemed. You're still operating on that lower level of appetite. See, this is a picture of a vexed and distracted person driven by selfish appetites. In other words, it's a picture of me and of you, right? On some days, at least. We want, we covet, we desire. We come up empty, and we wouldn't know what to do with it, even if we got it. Our hearts aren't set above. Our love is too low. Our desires are disordered. We need new hearts. That's why, in just a a few sentences later, James writes, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now he's touching on something here that's going to take us to our next point, And that is divided hearts create double-minded lives. They go together. What's happening in our heart also affects our thoughts and our decisions. New loves in a new heart cultivate new desires, which replace, even obliterate, old desires. What brings us joy is new what we find pleasure in has been replaced with something far deeper, honestly, and far better. Let me, let me just put it like this. And what I'm about to tell you doesn't mean that you need to become some kind of religious wingnut. That's not what I'm about to say. But let me just boil it down. New life in Jesus means we find ourselves loving him more than anything or anyone else. It's in all-your-heart Kind of thing that's what new heart does it begins to realize i don't want to hold anything back it's a all of my heart kind of thing and then that kind of love man it starts to rearrange things inside us it just does we're flooded with this overwhelming love. We begin to experience and understand such complete love like we had the chance to sing about just a few minutes ago. Such thorough forgiveness and mercy, such unconditional acceptance is to be fundamentally changed forever. At the center of our whole balance shifts that I can be loved in that way. Man, it makes all the difference. I am loved. Someone want to say that out loud with me? I am loved. That alone begins to change our hearts and our minds. Then, in addition to this incredible love, we are confronted with his unabashed perfection, his total rightness. But and then instead of feeling condemned for not somehow measuring up, we're actually inspired and motivated by God's example. We're inspired by that. Our hearts begin to see things as they really are. We feel the angina of the wrong. We feel the healthy pulse of the right. The weakness of the bad is clear to us. So is the strength of the good. And then simply put, we want to do the right thing the good and healthy thing, the God-glorifying thing, the loving thing, the selfless thing, all those things start to look right and good to us. Our wanter is changed, new heart, new mind, all because God loves us and we love him. Psalm 73 says very, just so beautifully and poetically, who am I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's where we find our satisfaction and our pleasures and our love in God. New heart, true mind, a new heart in Christ means all of these things, new appetites, new desires, new affections, and a new true mind. This love enjoyed in our hearts produces something else. Let's start here, peace of mind. Peace of mind. Our circumstances have the chance to be reinterpreted in light of the goodness of Jesus. As it says in Romans chapter 8, those who live according to the flesh, that's the Bible's way of just talking about our own selfish, kind of finite desires and appetites, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what that flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Again, what what God wants becomes what we want. The mind governed by the flesh, man, that's death. That drives us away from God, which is the very definition of death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Letting our own selfish, sinful nature control our mind and our thoughts leads to death. But letting God's Spirit into our mind and our thoughts leads to life and peace. With our new mind, We exchange worry and anxiety for peace. We can exchange control and our need of it for contentment and trust. We exchange feeling like the victim for instead rooting our identity and potential in the one who will never do us wrong. How we interpret our circumstances is such a powerful force in us. In a new mind, we get to think new thoughts and see things in new ways. Worry robs us of joy even sometimes a good night's sleep, even though so many times we realize these things truly are all in our minds. Now it's not like there aren't plenty of things to worry about. In fact, that's really the point. Living with Jesus doesn't remove those things, those stressors. It just removes the need to worry, the need to brood or get stressed about such things. See, if everything were up to us, there would be lots of reasons to worry. Am I right? But it's not all up to us. New life means knowing your life is in God's hands. It's not all about you, and it's not all up to you. There's a greater power living in and through you. Here's the way Paul put it to the Philippians. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And this is what's going to happen. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding beyond what your mind can grasp, will guard what? Your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Listen while I tell you something that you probably already know but need to hear again. It is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you think about and respond to what happens to you. Is that right? It's what's happening right in here. Where you set your mind and the thoughts you choose to have. Here are the thoughts that Paul says, just uh, in the next verse here, back to Philippians. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now here's what he doesn't say. Whatever you're not sure is true, or you wish were true, or you wish wasn't true, whatever is popular, whatever makes me look lovely or puts me in a good light. If anything lets me feel sorry for myself, or if anyone is untrustworthy, think about such things. We're pretty good at that list, right? That's the list that comes naturally to us. But in God's word, we've just read a list that comes supernaturally to us. And it's a list we can just as easily choose by the power of the Spirit. One of my preachers when I was younger called that other list stinking thinking. Ever heard that? Stinking thinking. True peace. Our circumstances are reinterpreted. And lastly, true wisdom. My decisions are recalibrated. I just want to make sure you're all still with me here. Anyone want some love in your life? Some true love and real love? How about joy? Does that sound good? Right? Peace. And this last one, something we all could use as well and that's wisdom. It is difficult to overstate the importance and power of our choices, right? Our power to choose, and that power, how it exerts itself on us and on those around us and on the course of our lives. And it's also difficult to overstate how essential it is, catch this, that those choices be informed and nourished by a wisdom that's beyond our own. Leave it up to me, and I'm going to screw it up. Am I right? I need some wisdom that goes beyond what I can just manufacture all by myself. Thank God he doesn't leave me all on my own. Right after Paul told the Colossian Christians, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, then he says this very next breath, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Bible teacher Beth Moore says, sin makes you stupid. And she's right. She's totally right. She's a smart lady. Sin makes you stupid. You've probably seen this in your life or the lives of those around you. I certainly have. Sin literally impairs your judgment, knocking off IQ points, sometimes right in front of your eyes, right? You make make one yes that should have been a no. You You say yes to something that you should have said no to. That maybe over here turned into a yes last Friday night. One decision leads to another and then maybe one more, and pretty soon we can find ourselves making some pretty stupid choices. All because we just didn't let our desires and our loves and our joys get realigned to Christ. And any of us, not a single one of us is exempt from that happening. That's why messages like this, verses like this, truth like this, so important to be reminded of, amen? Our choices lead our lives, and they affect us and those around us. We love you so much here at Outlook. I love you. We're for you. We want good things for you. And just to be reminded, look, don't take your choices for granted, and don't underestimate their power. You're setting the direction of your life every day, and the Holy Spirit, through Christ, wants to help you set that direction every minute of every hour. Amen? But we can just as easily decide to start ignoring that voice and that truth. Don't do it. Don't do it. Just as we set our hearts, we can also set our minds. God wants us to make good and wise decisions and string them together and form a healthy, solid life. The fact is, God has a plan and a purpose for you. And as your mind is renewed, that plan and purpose becomes ever more apparent to us. Romans 12 makes this clear. Don't conform, Paul wrote to the Romans, to the pattern of this world. Just like John was saying, don't love this world. Don't let your affections be pulled in every direction by what this world says is important. Now, Paul is also reminding us, and now don't let your mind conform to the way this world thinks. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able... To test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You will want what God wants. And you'll begin to actually see and do what God wants. Because you've planted yourself in a community of people who want it too. And you sharpen each other. And you encourage each other. And you're digging into God's word together. That's what church is all about. And that's what following Christ is all about. How this world would be changed by churches full of people who go and do what God has designed and called them to do because they've discerned it with their new minds. Doesn't that sound great? See, turning to Christ switches on things in us that were switched, that were shut off, awakens things in us that were dormant. We begin to see clearly things that we didn't even know were there before. What am I talking about? What was shut off? What was asleep? What was out of focus? Your purpose in life your potential to change the world, and your sense of just how rich and sweet life can really be. New hearts filled with new love and joy. True minds made so in peace and wisdom. Let's take these truths that we're talking about right now and begin to turn toward the table and the bread and the cup. Let's take this to the table and just begin to reflect a little bit longer on what we're talking about here, this love, this joy, this peace. This wisdom. Tradition says that as the news of Jesus spread, Jesus is risen, Jesus has appeared to his disciples, as the news of Jesus spread through his followers, Thomas, the guy we met at the beginning of the message this morning, he went to evangelize the Parthians, the Medes, and the Persians. And he ultimately reached the nation of India. India's Malabar coast still boasts a a large population calling themselves the Christians of St. Thomas. According to the same history, Thomas was killed for his faith by a spear. This brings everything into perspective. We begin to understand as we experience these new hearts and these true minds, the brevity of life here on earth, the vastness of the eternity that follows it. We begin to see and really feel in our gut that ultimately it's people that matter most, loving them, that they might join us in loving God, that Thomas seemed to understand that, gave his life spreading that message. Our sense that God has given us unique gifts and talents, we want to begin doing nothing more than to being a tool. He can use a servant in his kingdom. Like Thomas at the point of a spear, you understand that your life is not your own, and the days you have, you give to God. And so as we hold the bread in the cup this morning... We begin to let's just reflect on the irony of the way Jesus works in our lives, thinking of Thomas. Once again, if you'll just relinquish proof or your need for proof, you'll get all the proof you ever need. Once you come to Christ in faith, knowing that He won't stand here with us and show us His wounds the way He did for those original uh, disciples. but he nonetheless becomes very real to us. In fact, he hands us his body and his blood in the bread and the cup, he gives us this reminder and he says, don't let go of this. In fact, every time you gather, go ahead and remember me in this way. He gives us something physical to remind us of the spiritual. He knows that we could use it. And in the end, we realize no one can argue against their own experience of conversion. Nothing convinces us quite like experiencing this new life. Friends, what I cheer today is not a fable or a fairy tale. It's true and it's real. It's supernatural and amazing and miraculous, don't get me wrong, but it is true and is as solid as anything else. This new life that Jesus gives. We are a people, God willing, walking around with new hearts and new minds. And it's amazing. One of the most beautiful scriptures to capture this is 1 Peter chapter 1. And we'll take the bread and the cup right after this. Though you've not seen him, Peter writes to these Christians, you love him. See, Peter had seen him, but these folks he's writing to, they had not. Though you've not seen him, you love him. That's us. Even though you do not not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And So as we receive the bread this morning, we declare by faith, right? a deeper knowledge, not a denial of facts, but truer facts, we receive in the bread the salvation of our souls through his broken body. Let's take and eat together. And when we take the cup, we are filled, tiny cup, small amount of juice, and yet we are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For we are loved. Let's take and drink together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for all your good gifts to us. We ask God that you would really just help us to be great receivers of those gifts. This is one of those moments where we realize that that so much of this life that you called us to is really just about wanting your gifts. You're a happy and generous giver. Um, when you find us willing to receive, uh, then beautiful and big things can happen. And so, Lord, I just pray for everyone who's listening to my voice right now online, here in the room, after the fact, you name it, that we would just simply create some space. Maybe, maybe for some it's just going to be a little bit. It's brand new. But a little bit of space to just say, I'm willing to receive, Lord, if you're willing to give. Could be peace, could be love, could be joy, could be wisdom, whatever I need, Lord, I'll create some space for that. And for those of us who've been walking with you for a bit, help us, God, to find new areas of our lives, new spaces for you to fill. You've proven yourself faithful to us. Help us to keep counting on that faithfulness and creating more and more room for you to work in our lives. That's our prayer. That's our prayer. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.